Sounds like everybody had a good time with it. Covenant Pines. It's always a great time to spend together up there. Before I give my message, I just want to just remind you this morning as we begin a new year, what kind of church we are. So you think about Roseville Covenant, you say, what kind of church are we? Well, first of all, I think it's really important that we stress this central principle, that the purpose of our church, and for each one of us, that we'll be wholehearted followers of Jesus. And I think that I can't think of any theme that's more significant in the Bible, that we are to be people who follow after Christ, who is the pinnacle of God's activity and revelation for us, is to follow Christ. And I say we say wholehearted because it's not just about doing religious behavior. Sometimes people have boiled Christianity down to just doing certain things, and that's what you do. But it's much deeper than that. As Jesus teaches, it's, it's a deep issue of the heart. Where are you inside as you live it out outside? And so we wanted people who are wholehearted followers of Christ. And I tell you, there's great freedom to know that we zero in on one voice predominantly. That's the voice of Jesus. We also are an intergenerational Christian community on a mission is a tagline that we use. And I'd like to see us move deeper into this intergenerational identity of who we are. It, also, it means two things. Number one, it means that we are concerned about growth for all generations of the church. Not exclusively one, but from the weest little all the way to the aged. We care about growth. But also, it's the integration of that. How we can find opportunities that we all participate in activities and growth that we can share together. And that's the intergenerational piece that I want to see us go deeper into this year. Christian community is at the heart of who we are, a place where people grow and a place where people express uh, their desire for deep relationships. And so community, a Christian community, is very, very important to us. And I encourage you to be inviters, inviting people to be part of our Christian community. It's not just about us who are gathered here and we say, isn't it great that we're part of the community, but how about people out there that need to experience Christian community? So this year, I would encourage us to be inviters of people to join in on our family, our spiritual family, as we share life together. But it's important to realize that it's not just the community. And we say, isn't it great that we can share it together, but we're on a mission. We're on a mission to impact people for Christ, both in our, in our daily experiences out there in the world. That's the greatest opportunity we have to influence people is in our everyday walk. But we are also concerned about touching our neighborhood and touching our communities and touching the world. And I'd like us to continually to go deeper into our mission. We really desire to minister to people and to encounter Christ in their lives. There's two realities that are deep within the covenant mindset. There's two questions that early covenanters always asked themselves. Where is it written and where are you with Jesus? And I think those two questions are critically important for us today. Our discussion with one another as we talk about what is true and what is right, the starting point and the core of where we discuss, we gather around the sacred word. And so we ask the question, where is it written? Where did you find that basis of the core of truth that we can unfold in our lives? Where did you find that? Or in discussions on issues, where is it written is critically important to us. It's also very important that we center it on the, on the good news of Christ. It's really not just about changing people's behavior, but it's reforming people's hearts. And I can't say enough of that. Christianity is an inside-out religion, faith. I don't like to call it a religion. I call it authentic Christianity. It's from the inside out. Gospel transforms people's hearts, transforms people by the Holy Spirit that we become people who are in tune with God. 
And as a result of that, the redeeming power of Christ emanates from us in word and deed in the world. And so those questions of where is it written and where are you with Jesus are as contemporary today as they were years and years ago. And we want to do it with a sense of joy and celebration. We Joy and celebration is real important for us. And you can help me with that. I tend to be more intense. I'm more of an intense person. And so joy and I, I experience joy and celebration in my way. Like a lot of it, in fact. But I want to be helped each other to experience in community a deep sense of joy, and we celebrate together. That's what community is all about. So I just lay this out just quickly for you, just to keep in mind. We want people who genuinely follow Christ. We want to be a community that we can share life together. We can share ministry together around the Scriptures, around the Gospel, with joy and celebration. So that's a snapshot of Roseville Covenant Church. Okay? Now I'm going to turn our attention to God's lavished grace. Before I do that, I want to remind you that tomorrow is a holiday for our country commemorating Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. And I really encourage you to take the time to do that. You might even want to go online and listen to some of his sermons, fantastic sermons, where he encourages the church in a prophetic voice, encourages the church to be the church, to be the church in the world. And quite frankly, I think if society would grab a hold of a lot of his things that he proclaimed as he laced the Old Testament prophets with his contemporary application that he wanted to make to the culture at the time, if we would just grab a hold of it, I think we'd be doing a whole lot better in culture. He is a voice that is very significant. And I encourage you to think about that tomorrow as we as a culture, as a country, say that he's important and we want to make that known. I encourage you to do that tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we just take a few moments here just to focus on your lavish grace. Father, we're overwhelmed when we think about what you have done for us through the work of your Son, Jesus. And so, Father, may we, as we leave this place, leave with a sense of joy, a deep sense of gratitude for what you have done for us. And I pray that this morning. Amen. I've taken these first few messages this year to kind of set the stage. When we understand the nature of God, it impacts our life in profound ways, or it should. The nature of God is so critically for us to understand because how He unpacks who He is becomes the basis of how we unpack our lives in the lives of others. God is overwhelming in His grace and His goodness, and He calls us to be overwhelming in our grace and goodness. Now I want to just take a moment to recap last week. I, I took time to just teach from the Old Testament in Exodus 34. For us to realize that God's self-disclosed character, He describes His character in the Old Testament in many, 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 many places. That self-disclosure in Exodus 34 is at least repeated 17 times in the Bible in the Old Testament and many, many expressions, 47 in bits and pieces. He wants us to know that He's the Lord. He's powerful, but He's also engaged in human relationships. He is the Lord. He is compassionate and gracious. Compassionate and gracious. That's the first characteristic he wants us to understand about him being the Lord. And particularly in the Old Testament, it finds its application in the most disadvantaged and the least fortunate. He also talks about slow to anger, where his patience, his patience not wishing any to perish. That great passage in Ezekiel, he takes no delight, no delight whatsoever in the destruction of the wicked whatsoever. He just wants a relationship with them. And so he's very, very patient. Sometimes you see in the Old Testament, and even in the New, he responds rather quickly to something. 
Sometimes every once in a while, God makes a point. Don't treat me as unholy. And sometimes he responds quickly, very quickly. But by and large, he's God of great patience. He abounds in relational love and faithfulness and brings in the idea of truth, maintains it to the thousandth generation. His desire to be faithful in relationship, in a loving relationship with us, is critically important. It's a centerpiece of his character. He also wants us to know that sin has consequences. Even as he is very forgiving, and he talks about his forgiveness, sin still has consequences. And that sin sometimes is visited by generationally. Generationally. If people choose to walk away from God in family systems, you have sometimes generational situations. When it goes from parents to, to children, from grandparents to, to, grand, to parents and to children, generational sin. But I want us to understand as we look at the New Testament that we see the same characteristics of God described in the New Testament. I think it's very, very important that we don't see some sort of disconnect, that there's some sort of different God of the Old Testament, a different God of the New Testament. My contention is that the Old Testament is a, is a book of stories of life-giving, not life-giving, life-defeating, of stories in the lives of people and nations who have chosen to walk away from God. Why do you see such destruction? Why do you see such, such terrible things as you read through the Old Testament? It's a saga of humanity who chooses not to walk with God. With the glimpses of those who get it. The glimpses of those who choose to follow God. And so in the book of Ephesians, this great book, we see the same character unpacking in the very character of God in the New Testament and in the person of Jesus. Chapter 1, he just kind of says to us, let me just throw it at all at you. Let me just throw at you who you are in Christ, all the privileges we have and the benefits we have of, in Christ. But those benefits flow from chapter 2. It's kind of like he says, let me just tell you what you have in Christ. Let me tell you how you got there. For we are dead in trespasses and sins. We used to live according to the ways of the world, but now... God, who is rich in His love and His mercy. You hear those statements? Like the statements in Exodus? He's rich in love and mercy. Made us alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He has raised us in Christ. Seated us in heavenly places. In order that in the ages to come He might show the incompatible riches of His grace. Expressed in kindness through Christ Jesus. For as by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves... It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which He has given to us. You see the heart of God. You see the heart of God's grace in that passage. But He goes deeper in chapter 1. Let's just take a moment to land there. He starts chapter 1 of Ephesians. He blesses us in every spiritual blessings. Now, we like to talk about material blessings a lot. But he wants to talk about the spiritual blessings that we have that come by virtue of people who have responded favorably to God's grace. And he goes through this passage here, and it's also parallel Second Peter, where he says, we have been given all we need for life and godliness. One of the important things we need to realize, folks, is that everything that God gives, he gives to us by virtue of the Holy Spirit we spend the rest of our lives growing into and more fully realizing who we are in Jesus. You see that? He has been given us all these rich spiritual blessings and we spend our lives growing into understand them and experience them afresh and anew. 
I was reading a blogger, Tim Denning, who gave the tough issues we face in life. He's a person who wants to encourage us through personal development. He gives 15. I'm only going to list a few. He gives some things that we struggle with in life that are the tough issues we face. Failure in life. Failure to accomplish the goals. The deep wounds that we receive from people who are, are critical or harsh in our lives. Financial problems. Health issues. How about this one? Relational failures where people feel so isolated and alone. There's no meaning and purpose in life. There's debilitating fears and worries that grasps them every day. No hope in dealing with death, just to name a few. I have good news for you this morning. Because the passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1 addresses four. Four, I think, are the most significant issues that we face in life. And what he does there is helps us to face them. He helps us to understand how we can navigate in these areas. The one is the issue of belonging. The other one is, is, is the issue of freedom. The other issue is that we, we desire so much, so what's our purpose in life? And he describes for us purpose. And then he talks about a secure future. These are major issues we face in life. Broken relationships, being enslaved, no purpose in life, fearful of death and no hope. The good news is in this passage, in Ephesians 1, he wants us to know that we have some powerful realities, resources that we have to face these issues. First is that we belong in the family. I can't tell you enough in this passage how much he talks about the importance of being in the family, in the family of God. He chose us and he adopted us in his family. Now, if you study this passage, you're going to be confronted right away with the, the theological issue of predestination. It says he chose us and he chose people. And so we wonder, wait a minute, wait a minute, you got the predestination of choosing people and yet we have the freedom to choose. And I'm not going to settle that question this morning because I can't settle that question for you. <laughs> but the scripture seems to affirm both, that God is involved in this, this selection process it seems to be a corporate selection here, but nonetheless, God is predestining certain things, but yet He grants us freedom. When we push the pole of either one of those too far, it distorts, I think, the scriptural teaching. So I'm not going to settle that question this morning, but I want us to understand that He very much wants us to enter into His great family. How many of you are the middle children in a family? You're not the old, you're not the young, you're the middle ones. How do you like being the middle ones? <laughs> Oh, it's great to be the middle one, isn't it? Studies have been done that they're called the lost children. How do you like to be called the lost ones? Do you feel lost sometime in the middle? You know, sometimes it's hard to navigate to the older brother or sister who is the firstborns. And of course, who gets all the benefits? The baby of the family. You're stuck right in the middle. Sometimes for people that are called in that realm, they are called the lost children because they don't always feel they found their place in the family. And my family is so important, but sometimes they just feel like they don't belong. When I was growing up, we had eight of us. I had one sister and seven boys, and don't feel sorry for her. She, was, she can handle her own. She can take on all seven and probably handle us. When I was growing up, there was such an incredible stress on that I am a Hovestal. That's my family. We had eight of us in the school at one time, and it was a small school, and eight kids. I graduated the class of 42. 42 people, that's a small class. But we were involved in that school, and there was something powerful and important about being a Hovestal. Sometimes it was used as false pride. It wasn't good. 
But there was something powerful that I knew I always was a Hovestal. I could go back to that identity. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie The Lion. I encourage you to look at that movie. It's an incredibly powerful movie of a little boy who unfortunately got on a train in India and he was on the train for four days and he ended up in a big, huge city. Found his way eventually. They took him to the orphanage and in the orphanage he was adopted by a parent, some parents who took him to Australia and it was amazing how his life unfolded even though he experienced the real difficulties of adoption and what that means. And the reason that story is so powerful for me is because we have someone who stays at our place up north, Raj, whose story is identical to Lion, the movie Lion. He was on a train as a little boy of six, and he got on the train, and he was gone for days, and finally ended up in a big, huge city. Walking the streets, there was a little, another girl, a couple years older than him, named Lexi, who took him in and, and kind of adopted him as, his, as her brother. They found their ways eventually to the orphanage, and that was a very typical experience. There's two friends of mine, John Sanders and Jody Sanders, adopted those two and brought them from there to the United States. And Rogers had the privilege, folks, the privilege of growing up in this house with a fam in this country with his family. And he really feels like he's part of our family. He really does. He feels a part with my daughters. He feels part with Holly and the grandkids. And that story is so powerful, so powerful to me because that's Rogers' life. And for him to be adopted, it was absolutely his life. If he didn't get adopted, he would have no life at all. But he is so special to our family. He's just part of us. And I know some of you, and I, because I know as many of your stories, feel estranged from your own family. I know the stories. I know how difficult it is. I know how you feel, at least through your experience, of how it feels not to belong. But I want you to know something powerful this morning. By genuine faith in Christ, you always, always belong to the family of God. You always belong to the family of God. You are adopted. You are part. He chooses you to be part of His great family. From the very beginning of time, we were in the mind and heart of God. Long ago, He adopted us into our family, His family. Not that we deserved it at all. You know, the church and the family of faith and the community of faith is the most interesting collection of people, isn't it? Stop and think of the church at large. Think of us. A bunch of weird, sometimes crazy people in the family of God, isn't it? But we're still family. We're still family by virtue of Christ and we're stuck together. I don't care if we're Jew or we're Gentile. The racial divides that often divide us. The gender issues that divide us. The economic status that divides us. But the root of it Regardless, we're always in Christ and in the family. In that great spiritual family. Israel of old was chosen not because they were so great. They were the smallest of nations. And God said, I want to show for the greatness of God. Not that we are so great because Paul calls us simply earthen vessels. But we show for the surpassing greatness and power of God may be seen through us and through the family. You might feel estranged sometimes from even church family. You miss your biological family, but you're always part of the family of God. Never forget it. We also experience genuine freedom. Genesis, we've been given freedom of choice, and the most enslaved life is one who has unchecked and unbridled freedom in their lives. Paul says we're free. Free from what? The penalty and the punishment of sin. 
By the way, sin is very enslaving, and we know that, folks. Even as believers, when we choose to walk away from God, sometimes God will release. And we know how enslaving that can be. But in Christ, we are free from the penalty and punishment of sin. Christ took it for us on the cross. He took it for us. And the richness of His grace. He wants you to understand you are abundantly free to live life to its fullest. Great C.S. Lewis states in his letters, I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it is almost like setting ourselves as a higher tribunal than God himself. The central issue of that freedom, although, is this internal freedom because we're connected with God. There's so many people that are so bound up inside themselves. They're in inner turmoil. And internal freedom from sin and shame is an incredible gift of God's grace. Spiritually dead, made alive, because we're free in Christ. He wants us to live with a purpose, folks. Central struggle in people's lives, if you talk to many people, is they just don't know where they fit, they don't know what to do. They don't, so they attach themselves to various causes to find their purpose. I want you to know from the very beginning, God had a long-range plan for us, for you and me. Centered in Christ, but it involves you and I working together with Him. We enter into the great plan of God and His great kingdom, making disciples, living godly lifestyles, extending redeeming power of Christ to the culture and to the world. We're chosen to be holy and blameless. The goal is to be without blame, moral maturity and stability. Paul says the transformation of our minds and hearts is so that we may know, genuinely know and understand the great and powerful will of God. Folks, in Christ we find out who we are. When we find out who we are, our purposes in life start to unfold. That's what we are living for. Whole persons and holy in our lifestyle and heart and hands. God has great purposes for us, collectively, individually. And finally, we have a secure future. If you genuinely experience what we call conversion because of the cross and resurrection of Christ, if you have experienced genuine conversion, you have received God's unbelievable gift and you choose to follow Him, we have an unbelievable secure future. Brittany Russ says there's five important things that the Bible teaches on heaven. God is preparing a place. Not all will enter. Christians should long for it. It will be a place of learning and working. And we will have a heavenly body free from the infirmities. That's tremendous, folks. Tremendous. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, He becomes the down payment, the guarantor that you have a legacy, an installment. You have a legacy in the eternal home. That's a hope. And folks, when we face those such difficult things that we go through in life, I can't tell you how important it is for me to realize the importance it's not always going to be that way. When you go through those deep valleys of life, you have to realize that that's not the only way it's going to be. And sometimes people never get out of those deep holes. But for those people who are deeply in the holes, they need to understand that it's not always going to be that way. There is a hope. There is a future. There is a hope after this life. And He wants us to understand that you have a secure future in the reality of eternal home. And I think about that more. I think about that more these days. This morning, if you feel alone and disconnected, maybe you have problems with your family, maybe disconnected from friends, I want you to know you're not disconnected from God's great family. 
And you can stand up in the midst of that to say, listen, even though I just feel such alone, you're never alone because you are part of God's family. Bask in that. You are connected to Him. You feel full of anxiety and all bound up. You need to understand what freedom is. Genuine freedom of the heart and the soul through Christ. Overcome sin and death in our lives. Feel like your life has no purpose and you're muddling around and you want to know, how can I make my life count? I hope you're asking the question. I want to make my, or dealing with the issue, I want to make my life count. I want to make my life count. If you are, lean heavily into Christ. Realize who you are. And then the purpose of God will start unpacking in your life. If your hope is gone and life is such an enormous struggle, again, I want to remind you that there's a new reality. No more pain, no more suffering. A new reality in the new heaven and the new earth someday for us. Next week, I want to look in the, the stories matters as we do those every once in a while. I'm going to talk with you and we're going to have some people sharing together why the church why the church? Why is the church so